Welcome to episode 191 of the TruthQuest podcast, the truth about the petrodollar. Before we get started, I want to ask you to do me a favor and share the show. If you're on social media and topics such as the Great Reset, the John Durham investigation, principles in politics, Ukraine, or the Hunter Biden laptop comes up, please share the topic-specific TruthQuest episode with your debate partner. Episodes are available on a host of platforms, including iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon Music, Podbean, BitChute, Brighteon, Rumble, and Instagram, where I post a short highlight of each show at instagram.com forward slash truthquestpodcast. Whatever platform you may be listening to this on, please take a moment to give it a five-star rating, hit the like button, or leave a positive review. Another way you can help grow the show is to throw a small donation my way at the TruthQuest podcast patronage page. All donations will be used to drive awareness of the podcast through online advertising. See this episode's show notes page at truthquest.podbean.com for details. And finally, please join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash truthquestpodcast. One of my favorite commentators is a radio and podcast host, Terror Servatius. She has been arguing for several weeks that the Ukraine-Russia war currently raging as I record this episode in March of 2022 is not only a war of human tragedy, but a currency war. Her argument revolves around the collapse of the petrodollar that is being perpetrated through the war's efforts. I think she's on to something. In this short episode, I explain how this is likely to play out over the next few months or years. We will start with a brief history lesson and end with a discussion on why you should care about this, especially if you're an American citizen or you own dollar-denominated assets. Post-World War II, the U.S. dollar was the dominant currency in the world thanks to the sheer size and power of the U.S. economy, coupled with the devastation in Europe and the Bretton Woods Agreement. In 1971, President Nixon killed the Bretton Woods Agreement, which also killed the U.S. dollar's gold standard, taking our currency from one that was pegged to and backed by gold to a non-backed floating rate currency, i.e. fiat currency and therefore the subject of irresponsible monetary policies. The reason Nixon did that was because foreign countries were asking to convert their paper dollars into gold per the Bretton Woods Agreement. If such demand continued, U.S. gold holdings would soon have been depleted. For those of you who are interested in this topic in detail, check out episode 162. In order to maintain the dollar's dominance in the world and avoid a complete run on the dollar, the United States struck a deal with Saudi Arabia in 1974 to standardize oil prices in dollar terms. Through this deal, the petrodollar system was born, essentially re-elevating the U.S. dollar to the world's reserve currency. The basic framework was strikingly simple. The U.S. would buy oil from Saudi Arabia and provide the kingdom military aid and equipment. In return, the Saudis would plow billions of their petrodollar revenue back into treasuries and finance America's spending. Through this agreement, the U.S. managed to influence members of OPEC to standardize the sale of oil in dollars. In return for invoicing oil in dollar denominations, Saudi Arabia and other Arab nations secured U.S. influence in the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, along with military assistance during an increasingly worrisome political climate. From a public finance point of view, this appeared to be a win-win. The Saudis would receive protection from geopolitical enemies, and the U.S. would get a new place to unload large amounts of government debt. Moreover, the Saudis could park their dollars in relatively safe and reliable investments in the United States. 
This became known as petrodollar recycling. By spending on oil, the U.S. and other oil importers were now required to use dollars, which created new demand for U.S. debt and U.S. dollars. This scheme assured the dollar's place as a currency of immense global importance. This was especially important during the 1970s and early 80s. After all, up until the early 80s, OPEC enjoyed a 50% market share in the oil trade. But by the mid-1980s, OPEC's share had fallen to less than one-third. Today, Saudi Arabia ranks behind both Russia and the United States in terms of oil production. As of 2019, OPEC's share remained around 30%. This has lessened the role of the petrodollar compared to the 1970s. I want to pause here and make sure everyone is following along. To make this as clear as possible, what we are dealing with then in the 1960s and 70s and today is our willfully negligent leaders in D.C. decided that it was more important to go to war in Vietnam or Iraq or Afghanistan or Ukraine and implement LBJ's Great Society welfare system or Obamacare or send out so-called stimulus checks or implement the Green New Deal than to live within their means, which would mean however much gold is stored in Fort Knox and elsewhere, that's how much paper currency they can print. Period. End of story. Essentially, instead of living on a budget, they irresponsibly printed money backed by nothing. It's literally worth no more than the paper it's printed on. Well, the world caught on to what our schemers in D.C. were up to, and they called their bluff started asking for gold in return for their worthless paper U.S. dollars. So Nixon pulled the plug. Then he struck a deal with the Saudis to keep the scam going a few more decades. Now it's 50 years later. So the Saudi agreement does what? It props up the dollar, right? It creates artificial demand. As I mentioned before, this artificial demand for the U.S. dollar is called petrodollar recycling. It simply means that domestic currencies must be converted to dollars, i.e. recycled, in order to buy oil. This artificial demand gives our power-hungry, willful, negligent, arrogant politicians a false sense of security to push the Federal Reserve to print dollars and monetize the debt, which is just a fancy way of saying the Fed holds bonds issued by the Treasury on their balance sheet. Imagine that. One part of the federal government issues bonds that is quote-unquote purchased by another part of the federal government, which has the power to print dollars. Oh, and don't forget, the current Treasury Secretary is the former Federal Reserve Chairperson, Janet Yellen. Now you know why I call the Federal Reserve unconstitutional. If it were constitutional, I'd be able to point to it in the actual document, which only mentions the coining of money. And there's obviously are no checks and balances, since you have one part of the federal government rubbing the back of the other. This petrodollar recycling concept also creates artificial demand for U.S. assets as dollars received for oil sales are used to buy investments in the United States. This scheme also provides U.S. financial markets with a source of liquidity and foreign capital inflows. Let's talk a little bit about how the petrodollar system has been used as a foreign policy weapon against America's enemies. One of the United States government's favorite petrodollar-related weapons of choice is what's known as SWIFT, Society for Worldwide Interbank Financial Telecommunication. This is pulled right out of today's headlines. As I mentioned before, as I record this episode, Russia's invasion of Ukraine is ongoing. 
and one of the sanctions leveled against some Russian banks and some Russian oligarchs is cutting them off from the SWIFT system. What is the SWIFT system? Well, once the communist bloc collapsed, the world's financial institutions searched for a way to make global trade and investment faster and easier. They came up with this SWIFT consortium based in Belgium. The system, of course, utilized the most dominant currency, the U.S. dollar. Sounds good, right? Then came 9-11-2001, when the power of this centralized system became apparent as the U.S. used the war on terror as an opportunity to turn SWIFT into an international tool for surveillance and financial power. Iran has been a particularly favorite target of the use of SWIFT to limit their financial dealings. As you can imagine, Russia and China have been highly motivated to find alternatives to SWIFT. If Iranian banks can be unplugged so easily from the global system, what's to stop the U.S. from taking similar steps against their banks? If fill-in-the-blank country refuses to kowtow to U.S. policy, then there's an easy solution. Simply cut them off from the international banking system. By late 2019, the U.K., France, and Germany had put together a workaround called INSEXT, I-N-S-T-E-X, designed to facilitate continued trade with Iran without using the dollar and the SWIFT system. Belgium, Denmark, Finland, the Netherlands, Norway, and Sweden have joined the system as well. Now this system is in the very early stages of development, but it's basically a way to get a divorce from the dollar-denominated financial system. It can be ramped up relatively easily in the future. Question. Is it a coincidence that a belligerent U.S. foreign policy has been applied to Iraqi, Libyan, and Iranian regimes? In the year 2000, Saddam Hussein, then president of Iraq, announced that Iraq was moving to sell its oil in euros instead of dollars. Following 9-11, the United States invaded Iraq, deposed Saddam Hussein, and converted Iraqi oil sales back to the U.S. dollar. This exact pattern was repeated with Muammar Gaddafi when he attempted to create a unified African currency backed by Libyan gold reserves to sell African oil. Shortly after this announcement, rebels armed by the U.S. government and allies overthrew the dictator and his regime. After his death, the idea that African oil would be sold on something other than the dollar quickly died out. Again, I ask, you think that's a coincidence? Do you remember back in the summer of 2021, there was an agreement between Russia and Saudi Arabia to end the U.S. petrodollar? This, of course, was long before the war in Ukraine. Just today, as I'm preparing this episode, there's a story about Saudi Arabia inviting the Chinese chairman Xi to visit in May. And then the Wall Street Journal reports, quote, Saudi Arabia is in active talks with Beijing to price some of its oil sales to China in yuan, end quote. Other regimes have called for abandoning the petrodollar include Iran and Venezuela. The U.S. has called for regime change in both of these countries. Are you getting the sense that the rest of the world is sick and tired of the United States bullying? We are literally a paper tiger. The paper being the worthless U.S. dollars that we pretend are dominant internationally. Meanwhile, our friends and enemies alike are making alternative plans to topple the dollar. In addition to all the scheming going on by countries in an effort to skirt the dollar's dominance, we have central banks buying gold at record rates over the last decade or so. So while they plan for the future, America is stuck in 1950. As you can see, threats can be leveled in both directions. 
Given the amount of US debt and other assets owned by Saudi Arabia, they are one of the few states that can credibly call the United States bluff. Most recently, they threatened to liquidate the kingdom's holdings in the United States if Washington passed a bill exposing OPEC members to US antitrust lawsuits. Ever wonder, like me, why Saudi Arabia escaped any backlash from the 9-11 attacks, which were performed by Saudi nationals? Remember George W. Bush allowing Saudi nationals to fly out of the United States in the days after 9-11? What about Saudi Arabia's ongoing war in Yemen? Might this explain the U.S. government's silence? So what's the big deal? Why should you care about this? Given America's current monetary situation, the removal of the petrodollar system would vastly accelerate the bankruptcy of the United States. Consider the national debt now stands at $30 trillion. Well, it's actually over $100 trillion if you include unfunded liabilities like Social Security. You know the national debt was at $6 trillion when G.W. Bush took office? Six. It's now at 30 Bush doubled it to 12 then Obama grew it by 70%, taking it to $20 trillion. Trump grew it by 33% to $27 trillion. And in one year, Biden has surpassed 30 which is an 11% increase. Does that sound healthy? Consider the Federal Reserve's balance sheet is over 100% higher than it was just two years ago. Remember, this is where the bonds sold by the U.S. Treasury are stored. The Treasury issues a bond, the Fed buys them, quote-unquote buys them, and prints new money, inflating the money supply, and the Fed holds the bonds on their balance sheet. One worthless piece of paper traded for another worthless piece of paper. Speaking of the money supply, the M3 money supply now sits at $22 trillion, which is 45% higher than two years ago. 45% more money out in the market, chasing fewer number of goods given the supply chain issues. That equals higher prices. Even if you don't understand all the economics, what does your gut say about the current monetary situation in America? Throw on top the fact that our allies and enemies alike are looking to kill off the US dollar's generous and artificial position of power as a holder of the world's reserve currency. What then, America? What then? Well, let's connect a few dots. What if foreigners start to dump US assets? That would drop the price. If U.S. debt prices drop, then we must increase the interest rate on our bonds in order to entice new buyers. What does that mean? It means the U.S. must then pay more interest on its debt. Were petrodollars and petrodollar recycling to disappear, it would have a twofold effect on U.S. government finances. A sizable decline in petrodollar recycling would put significant upward pressure on interest rates, resulting in a budget crisis for the U.S. government, as it would have to devote ever larger amounts of the federal budget to payments on the debt. The other option would be to have the U.S. central bank monetize the debt by purchasing ever larger amounts of it to make up for the lack of foreign demand. That would lead to even higher prices. Further, if participants began to exit the petrodollar system and, say, sell oil in euros or yuan instead, demand for dollars would drop. This would also generally contribute to higher prices, as fewer dollars will be sucked out of the U.S. by foreign holders. The result could be an ongoing decline in government spending, which is long overdue, I'd be the first to say. And it means higher and higher prices for the American consumers. The U.S. regime's ability to finance its debt would decline significantly, and the U.S. would need to pull back on military commitments, pensions, and more. 
Either that or keep spending at the same rate and face an inflationary spiral or hyperinflation. The bottom line is the United States is run by a bunch of short-sighted, power-hungry, willfully negligent, arrogant assholes. This goes back decades. They have essentially bankrupted the country. As I record this today, year-over-year prices have risen on virtually everything you buy, from bacon to gas, anywhere between 40% and 100%. That's just one year. So not only are they bankrupting the country, but they're pushing bankruptcy for citizens who fall in the mid to low income brackets. The petrodollar is a crutch for the US dollar as it holds on to its reserve currency status by its fingernails. It won't be long before the rest of the world says no more, and they leave the US dollar in the dustbin of history. And what makes it so infuriating is it's a self-inflicted wound. This country founded by geniuses, is run by fools and crooks. And unless states wise up and start seceding from the union and setting up their own currencies backed by gold, we're all going down in this sinking ship known as the United States of America. And that's the truth about the petrodollar. Please join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash truthquestpodcast.